August 30th, 2018, San Francisco. The Sales Development Conference. The first and only live conference 100% focused and dedicated to sales development. Join over 300 of the top minds in sales development for a full day of learning, forging new relationships, and creating the next generation of sales development excellence. This year, we have dedicated tracks for sales development leadership, as well as a track for individual sales development representatives, including a full day of ultra-useful hands-on training. Bring your whole team to get the tools, research, and connections you need to accelerate your career and push your sales development program forward. Accelerate your growth at the Sales Development Conference 2018. Go to tenboundcom slash conference to get your tickets today. That's tenboundcom slash conference. You're listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum focused and dedicated 100% to sales development. If you care about growing your skills and getting more new sales appointments, pipeline, and closed one deals, you came to the right place. Subscribe to the show on YouTube, iTunes, or Spreaker, and be sure to go back and listen to all the episodes for the best strategies, tips, and tactics out there on running a high-performance sales development program. And now, your host, founder, and CEO of TenBound at TenBound.com, David Delaney. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. I am on the line today with a good friend of mine, a 10-bound alumni, which is a very distinguished honor, by the way, and Director of Sales Development at Totango, Mr. Chris Kennard. How are you doing today, Chris? Hey, David. I'm great. I'm, great. <laughs> I'm sure that you have a number of other honors you know, on your resume and people can go and look at, but I think that that's... Besides 10-bound alum? No way. <laughs> so this is great, man. I met Chris. Chris came through the 10-bound management program that we have. We've been you know, keeping in touch ever since then, and it's been an honor to meet you, Chris, and watch your career progress. And yeah. we just thank you for being on the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that was one of the here's – a, here's a plug for you. That was one of the best – and most valuable courses I ever took, besides maybe typing in seventh grade. <laughs> nice, dude. I'm right up there with Maven Brown's <laughs> Mavis Beacon. <laughs> All right. That's what right. it was. Jesus, we're old, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much. You know, Chris, you've been doing some amazing things over at Tango, pushing the sales development practice forward. I'm excited to get you on the show. How did you get into sales development? And tell us a bit about, you know, Chris Kennard, if people are, haven't met you yet. So, you know, I took a, you know, I kind of, I took a very, I would say, what's the word I'm looking for? I took a very common route into sales development. I know a lot of people, people I've hired, they can, you know, a lot of times people just end up in sales development. I had been, I'd been studying cognitive neuroscience in college, and I'd always thought that I would go on, get my PhD, and become a professor. But my senior year of college, I missed the deadline to apply for PhD programs. <laughs> I took the GREs twice. You know, I had the scores, but I needed a job for like five months. And so mm. my dad worked in technology for 40 years. And so I, you know, I started with him just because he was there and he was like, yeah, the company, he was an, an account executive at a, at a small software company in San Diego. And he said, yeah, we've, you know, we're, we're hiring telemarketers. And I was like, there's no effing way I'm going to be a telemarketer, <laughs> like not on your life. Thanks, but no thanks, dad. And so 
<laughs> I went back to Monster.com. This is 2005. Went back to Monster.com and looked around and found a couple opportunities that were like marketing associate or something like that. And it ended up being like multi-level marketing scheme where you show up and then you, <laughs> you, you drive to, this was back in San Diego. And so we just, we drove to you know, like a location in Cardiff and just walked door to door trying to sell like printer paper. And I was like, I was oh my like, God. that experience was like eight hours. And by the end of the time, the guy was convincing us not to take the job. And I was just like, oh my God, this is a freaking nightmare. <laughs> so by the end of that, I was like, okay, telemarketing, you say. <laughs> <laughs> oh my so, God. So, so I took the job, or excuse me, I took the interview, and it turns out it was it was just an outbound SDR. That's and I was like, that was the worst sell ever, Dad. <laughs> like, it's you know, I'm not calling people at dinner. I'm not you know interrupting them. I'm eh, well, maybe a little interrupting them in the middle of their day, but definitely not during dinner. And so I was like, you know what? I can do this. I got an air conditioned office. I get to talk to people. You know, and for a 22-year-old, I was, you know, making a little bit of money. So turned out I was pretty good at it. So I just kind of stayed doing it, decided to uh, skip going back for my PhD and just kind of went from there. Nice, dude. Well, that's so funny because I remember back in earlier in my career, I went to this, you know, I somehow got the job interview and this is when we used the newspaper. So you're talking like, <laughs> we made a couple of references, but I got the job interview through the newspaper and uh-huh. I show up and, and it's like a, a theater and they're showing this this presentation about the opportunity of a lifetime. <laughs> and I'm going, huh. Was it a hotel by the airport? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which... Which, on a side note, you know, for the SDRs out there that are listening to this or people thinking about getting into it, I mean, multi-level marketing is great, you know, for your first experience in sales because you learn a lot. But, you know, if you're a little bit later, I don't know. It seems like it benefits the company more than the actual person to some extent. So, (laughs) So you got this job and it turns out that it's more sales development than telemarketing. So I bet a lot of the people on this don't even know what telemarketing is. Like, what, How do you define the difference between those two? Well, you know, it's funny because they're actually, they're similar but different. I mean, you are calling people in the middle of your day. You know, if you're an SDR right now, you know, if, if your managers, you know, if that's part of your program, you're making calls, you're sending emails, and then, you know, you get somebody on the phone and you try to generate interest in your company's products or services. Now, with this, with this role, it was very similar. Like I was trying to set up meetings for the account executives at the company. We were selling document management software to credit unions. So yeah, really exciting stuff. <laughs> um, but it was like, it was back, yeah, so this was 2005. And so a lot of, you know, credit unions and banks, they're still using, you know, just a ton of paper. And, you know, anybody who's ever filled out a loan, you know, whether it's a car loan or a home loan, you know, how many documents you actually end up signing. And so it's just, it's just a huge amount of paper. And so what this company sold was a solution that, you know, tied to, you know, scan a physical scanning product, you know, you could do like e-signature, like on one of those pads that are now at every bank. This was kind of in the early days of that before that even got off the ground. The only problem is credit unions are nonprofit organizations. So you're trying to sell a cost savings to a company that doesn't really care about the profit margin that much. So right. it had its own challenges, but it was a perfect place for somebody who was, you know, fresh out of college, didn't know what they wanted to do with their life necessarily, but knew that they were, you know, fairly outgoing and, you know, could definitely, you know, get used to, you know, the the work. 
Right. And then so you had a little bit of success doing that. You got into the flow. And then, you know, did you start to manage a sales development team or did you get into sales? Like, how did it work from there? Yeah. So from there, I ended up being with that company for a little over a year. So I I was I did SDR work there for about six months and then they promoted us into junior account reps. And then I ended up moving on to a separate small B2B SaaS company in San Diego and stayed there for about three years. So during that, this next company was called Covario and they've since been acquired, but basically they were selling software into fortune 500 companies for SEO automation back in the very early days of, you know, trying to kind of optimize your website for keywords and all that jazz. So first thing I was doing there for a year and a half was more SDR outbound cold calling, trying to get us, you know, our, our series a round of funding. And so was able to, you know, bring, you know, help generate interest at a number of very large companies, including one that would go on to, to tank world economy, AIG. Oh. Uh, <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were a big customer of ours. I don't think we had anything to do with that. But <laughs> um, and uh, let's see, I moved up into account management. So I got to see how some of our biggest customers, Procter & Gamble for one, got to see how they used our product. And so got to go on site have to really find out what happens after that handoff. So after you sell something, you know, your company has to, act, has to actually deliver on those promises that sales makes. So nice. I'd be the one doing that. And then from there, I moved up into a my first quota carrying sales role. And then let's see, two months later, uh, Lehman Brothers went under and the whole, the entire economy took, took a dump. And so this was probably 2008, 2007. Mm, and, I remember uh, it well. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, right. And so, I'm very lucky in that I had three years of experience, and I was, you know, still relatively young and relatively cheap. So I was able to kind of. I ended up not staying with that company much longer, but I was able to move up to San Francisco and take my first account executive gig. And so, was an AE across a couple different companies up in San Francisco for about eight years, and then decided to get back to my roots in sales development. And so I've been I've been leading up the outbound sales development efforts here at Tatango for just over a year and a half. Nice. And so tell us about your team. How do you have it structured? You know, how do you guys you know get the word out about Tatango? So the first thing, so we didn't really have much of an outbound process when I got here. There were three guys that were doing mostly inbound kind of qualification. So we were they were going through you know the the inbound demo requests, passing you know doing a short qualification call, making sure they kind of you know checked checked a couple different boxes and you know basically weren't spam, and then passing them on to the to the AEs. Now there was very little criteria as far as what these what these prospects had to match in order for them to get credit and for them to get paid on it. So it was a little bit wild, wild west, and there wasn't a whole lot of discipline and structure around it. So got it. observing the team for the first couple months, I got to, you know, you really have to figure out what are people's motivations and then manage against that. So it's like people are only going to do what gets you paid. So if they, if we wanted to implement an outbound methodology there, you're going to have to start paying people towards things that are going to make them successful implementing an outbound methodology. So you know, making calls, sending emails, you know, changing the SQL criteria so that we know that we're like, you know, passing the right types of leads. So it's not just, you know, people that show up that, you know, will listen to you for 30 seconds, kind of like Cutco or something. 
you know, we want to make sure that we're getting good stuff for the for our AEs pipelines. Got it. Okay. So right now you've got it set up divided between outbound and inbound. No. So now we actually hand our inbound leads directly to the AEs. And so we have some automation in place that allows us to disqualify. We ask certain questions in our demo request forms that DQ people. And then we have some automation that goes out to, to try to further you know, DQ people who come in that really aren't a good fit for us. But the ones who are and who answer the, you know, the, the questions in the, in, in the way that we need them to, like, for example, they're a company over a certain size or they're, you know, in a certain industry or they have a certain amount of budget, we're able to, to pass those directly to the AEs. Like, okay. All of our efforts are outbound. Okay. And so with giving the leads direct, I'm just kind of curious about this, like giving, giving the leads directly to the AEs, you know, a lot of times you hear out there that the AEs become busy with trying to close deals and doing research and all the great stuff that they're doing every day. And mm-hmm. they may not follow up on everything, you know, that's out there, you know, based on giving them all the inbound leads and, and right. So some companies spin up an inbound team to just sort through everything. So how do you guys deal with that? You know, we've, we've definitely had those kind of growing pains. And, and one of the ways that we've gotten around that is by by introducing a little bit of automation into it. And so the way it happens is that when people go come in bound, they go through our routing procedures that match to certain territories. And then an automatic email comes out for me on behalf of it comes out on behalf of myself and then CCing the account rep. So that when a, a lead does come in, they're at least getting a response from, you know, a human being. And it's actually on like an hour delay. So that like, so it looks like, you know, somebody actually wrote it or took at least took a little bit of time. So it's not like an auto, like you submit the button and all of a sudden you get an email. So it's like, so they get an email for me saying that their AE is going to be reaching out shortly. And then I actually end up monitoring that process. And at the end of every day, I just make sure that all of our demo requests have been followed up on. So there's sometimes I have to prod people, but for the most part, it's, you know, it's fairly seamless. They get their leads and... And I'll tell you, it wasn't that way until we introduced a little bit of automation in there. Got it. Okay. And then, so for the outbound, how are they kind of structured? Do they, is it a one-to-one ratio? Do they support by territory, by vertical? How does that look like? They are structured on a two-to-one ratio. So there's two A's for every one SDR. Got it. And how do they work together to kind of like divide and conquer the... Mm -hmm. The workload. Yeah, so every SDR has their own list of accounts. We run something called the TP program, the Top Prospects program, and it's based on like our tier one accounts that we have deemed that match our ICP and they, you know, are the best people that we should be reaching out to. So then they have 50 of those accounts and four different prospects at each of those accounts that they're going after at any given time. And we, we change those companies up every six weeks so that we can keep getting fresh stuff in. Now, that's half of it. Now, the other half is working directly with the AEs and kind of carving out time to go after their, like, top 30. And we try to we try to structure the accounts that are on their TP list to match those also in their AEs territories. Got it. And then, so, are you, you're in charge of sort of churning the accounts, or how does that work as far as... What I see a lot out there is that the AEs are kind of in charge of those accounts and then they move them to the side and take another batch of accounts. But it sounds like you work with them to do that or you do it. 
so it really kind of it works a little bit independently. So we've got. I mean, I'm definitely I'm definitely keeping in. I'm definitely keeping in contact with the AEs as we do these. We call them TP rounds. So every time a TP round is due for change, you know, I'm communicating with the AEs to make sure that you know we're on the same page. And you know, if they've got preferences on the accounts that they want to target, I can make sure that those are in the next round. And so that way we can kind of you know remain on the same page. And as far as that goes. And then the second part of your question, I'm sorry, what was it? <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> you know, how much input do the AEs have in oh, yeah, figuring yeah. out which ones that they're they're focusing on? I mean, that's the thing is that like their input has to be, you know, crucial in the process. I mean, they it has to be taken into account. If we're not like listening to them, then, you know, like we're not going to, you know, we're not going to get as much progress as we need. Like we've, we've got our own thing going on, but at the, at the end of the day, like they're kind of our, they're our internal customer because we're passing leads to them and they're the ones who are going to be taking it over the finish line. Nice. Okay. And then how does your marketing department support you in your outbound strategy? So we've done a number of different things within our TP program. So we've got this, this list of tier one accounts in the past, we've had marketing and demand gen running kind of air support campaigns kind of behind the programs that we're running. So we're, you know, sending out our emails and we're making calls. And then at the same time, Demand Gen is running, you know, display ads, they're running retargeting, you know, they're doing a number of things so that like, we're kind of, you know, attacking them from multiple angles. You know, we also do a lot of this stuff when it comes, you know, when we're preparing for a big conference or if we're preparing for, you know, a, a localized or territory based event that we're trying to put on. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways that marketing and sales development work together. Some of the main ways that we've worked, been working together recently is to make sure that all the processes behind the scenes are matched up. And so in this role, I've learned, I've learned more about sales operations than I ever thought I would. And so like making sure all the nuts and bolts within Salesforce works is definitely a, a critical part. August 30th, 2018, San Francisco, the Sales Development Conference. The first and only live conference 100% focused and dedicated to sales development. Join over 300 of the top minds in sales development for a full day of learning, forging new relationships, and creating the next generation of sales development excellence. This year, we have dedicated tracks for sales development leadership, as well as a track for individual sales development representatives, including a full day of ultra-useful hands-on training. Bring your whole team to get the tools, research, and connections you need to accelerate your career and push your sales development program forward. Accelerate your growth at the Sales Development Conference 2018. Go to 10bound.com conference to get your tickets today. That's 10bound.com conference. And at your company, who, who drives that relationship? Because it seems like there's many silos involved and sales development is kind of like the connective tissue in between. And it's like, everybody's got different goals. So like the marketing team has different goals. The sales team has different goals. The SDR team has different goals. Like, are you the driver in kind of orchestrating that or does it come from somewhere else? So it's, it's changed over time. I would say that like when I came in, there was, I mentioned this earlier, there was a, you know, a, a certain, SQL criteria. And so we sales qualified leads, basically what boxes had to be ticked in order for us to, you know, count this as a lead. And so, you know, my, my compensation is based on my team's attainment of their goal. And so they've each got a number and then the, the number rolls up. And so really, we, you know, we're trying to make sure that we're, you know, optimizing towards whatever those criteria are. 
So if, you know, if we need certain companies of a certain size, we're only going to target companies of a certain size and so on and so forth. But like, as things have changed, if we needed to ramp it up, if we're trying to move upstream, definitely been a, you know, a big focus at Tango's where, you know, we're, we're targeting larger companies. So we want to make sure that we are, you know, not only doing, you know, kind of basic firmographic research, but also like, you know, if, if it's, you know, if we're trying to, you know, optimize, you know, against churn or in a certain vertical, or if we, you know, if we have more marketing collateral for one type of customer versus another, like there's, there's so many variables that you can, you know, go up against to you know, really, really find your, your ICP. And you're the one like initiating those conversations within the company. Yes and no. Yes and no. Like I'm definitely, I mean, it's, it's a decision by committee. Our COO is very involved. Our VP of sales is involved. Oops. And we're all just trying to, you know, you know, we're, we're trying to make sure that, that all of our, you know, efforts are coordinated. So when I first got there, I think the criteria had been developed by the VP, the prior VP of sales. And so we ran with that for a while. And then about six months after I started, you know, we, we switched the criteria. You know, we decided that, you know, we wanted to, you know, target those larger size companies. And then, you know, eight months after that, we changed it again. So it's kind of, you know, it's like we're always trying to get better and learn from, you know, you know what, what didn't work before and optimize against that. Got it. Okay. So let me ask you this. The Tatango is a, is a unique piece of software. It helps with customer success, right, to make sure that customers stay on track. And is there any way that you leverage that to find new opportunities at companies? Like if a group of people are using it, but they're, you know, for cross-sell opportunities and things like that, where the sales development team might come in. How would sales development maybe use Tatango? Yeah. And the reason I ask is because at Discover Org, there's a group of sales development reps that actually call into their installed base to try to uncover different opportunities. And I was just wondering if that's ever come up at Tatango or it's it's right now you're going after mainly, you know, greenfield opportunities, new accounts. It doesn't really cross over. You know, so because we are, you know, I, actually it's funny because we have our we have a division within Tatango that does that already, but you know, like we've definitely helped kind of augment some of their work and and help provide them with, you know, coverage if they need it. But for the most part, like that is being run out of our like kind of expansion sales team. And then at times, however, if the AEs want to use their SDRs kind of limited time for expansion efforts, they also do that as well. But it's not like it's not the official charter of our team. Right. It's new, new business opportunities, which is which is interesting because with companies that you know, I, I thought that idea was interesting that Discover Org does because if companies have large installed base and it's an easier conversation, I would think, than just like cold calling somebody. It's like, you know, hey, this division over here is using us already. And, you know, they went through all the rigmarole to get us installed. Like, why don't we have a conversation about this? It seems like it's lower hanging fruit, right? No, I mean, actually, that's it's not a terrible idea. I've, I've heard it from. <laughs> see, I knew this would be a useful conversation. Now, it's, it's. I mean, it's definitely something that we've thought about in the past. What we've done instead with lower hanging fruit is we run things called zombie campaigns, trying to revive formerly dead deals. And so, you know, what what was once dead, we can make alive again, which is why we call them zombie campaigns. You know, nice. basically trying to trying to get those companies that used to be interested in whether they, you know, went with our, you know, competitors or not, like, 
you know, if it's coming time for renewal or, you know, maybe a couple months before and, you know, perhaps we've, you know, addressed some of the, the issues that they had in the past, like there's so much data within our current database, you know, in Salesforce, like we haven't even, we haven't even really kind of touched expansion within our own, our own team. Yeah. You know, it's funny because you look at outbound and I think the prevailing, the prevailing wisdom is like, it's got to be, it's got to be greenfield. It's got to be cold calling. It's got to be tough. You know, like I did it when I was, you know, when I was your age, like, I, this is how I did it. But I think that that, and I'm not saying that this is how you have it set up, but I, I think that that mentality, like sometimes clouds the fact that, oh, actually it would be a lot easier if we did like this over here. It's not as glamorous and like, it's not as hard, but I mean, what's the end result that we're looking for is to make money. Right. So yeah. Why not exploit something that's e- going to be easier? I don't know. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it's funny you bring it up because, I mean, this is a, a shameless plug for our CEO's book, but I mean, he wrote a book, Farm Don't Hunt. And so like kind of our, you know, we're, as the SBR team, we're the tip of the spear and we're, you know, we're trying to get, uh, you know, we're trying to land inside these these larger companies and then expand our presence. But the landing is really kind of our our directive. And the, the AEs, once we've got that, initial relationship, the AEs are, are working within their, their accounts to kind of expand that. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I don't mean to just harp on this point, but it's like, you know, the, the, the landing is the most, it's almost like if you look at a rocket, like all the energy, like 90% of the energy of a rocket is just that first, like, you know, 15 seconds of getting out of earth's orbit. Once it gets up there, then it's, you're good. Right. And it's like, we put so much effort into the landing and then it's like when they actually have already become a customer or they're, they're in the process, then it's a lot less energy, but it seems like people don't really focus on how to really, you know, leverage that. It's more like, let's go down and look at this, this huge amount of energy that we have to spend and spend all our time there. So it's just interesting. (laughs) I don't know if that makes sense, but. No, I mean, it's a huge, it's a huge thing. It's like, you know, if we can land a $50,000 deal at, you know, I mean, I'll I'll use an example that I used before, like Procter and Gamble, like it's $50,000 for a company like Procter and Gamble, like is a drop in the bucket. Like they could use millions of dollars worth of our products. So absolutely. The, the opportunity within there is humongous. And I think one of the reasons why we haven't used the SDRs for that capacity is really just kind of because there's so much money on the line. We want to make sure that we've got our, you know, seasoned sales professionals doing that kind of expansion work and relationship building. But like, I think it's probably, and feel free to disagree with me, but I think it's, I think it, it might work better, at least, you know, lower risk if you're talking about lower ASPs. And so if, if, if the opportunity is not quite as, as big or if perhaps the, the product isn't as complex, you know, it's easier to do that with, with an SDR team. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And it would just be interesting. Like, I just think about this kind of stuff all day. I'm a total nerd about it. I think, I think we both are. That's why we're on this. But, yeah. it, but it's like, <laughs> it's like, it, it would be, a, here's a math problem challenge to anybody out there who's listening, who's very analytical. It's like, take the installed base and the total addressable or the total additional upsell that could be, you know, realized in the installed base 
And then the lower part of the equation is the amount of time that the AEs are spent you know, focused on finding referrals, finding the next people, basically prospecting into the install base. You know, that's sort of like the division line. And then what the amount of money that is being left on the table based on the low activity into the install base on the part of the AEs. I'll put that as a challenge. And I, I would bet that it's a big number. It's a huge number because an AE, I mean, God love them. Like I was an AE for seven years. I mean, what, what you're thinking about is research for the next call, you know, getting the deck ready, getting your pitch ready, closing a deal, the quarter's coming up. I got to close a deal. Like, I mean, it's, it's a very, it's what's right in front of you at the time. Mm-hmm. And then if I have some time, like if I made my number and stuff, then I'll try to work through my install base and, and do the really, really hard work of trying to map out the accounts and things like that to upsell those. Mm-hmm. It's just, I would bet that it's not happening at the rate that it should and, mm-hmm. and we're losing a lot of money. Yeah. What are your thoughts? I would say, I, I mean, I completely agree. I think that's, you know, back to, you know, how I, how I try to compensate like my reps, you know, moving from, you know, when I got here, when they were doing all inbound to getting them to go outbound is you have to compensate towards the behavior you want. And if you see that there's a huge, you know, opportunity for upsell within your current customer base, which if you have an ASP, you know, that's, you know, mid five figures or low six figures, like you got to compensate towards that. So if, if you're not paying your, your reps a good percentage on upsells, then they're not going to do that because they're yeah. going to spend their time wherever they're going to make the most money. So yeah, I mean, it, it's, of course, you know, it's cliche, but yeah, it's different for every company. But if, if you think there's a use case out there, if you think your company, you know, should be moving upstream, then you need to compensate towards making people do that. I mean, see, it sounds simple and it sounds, you know, you know, pretty straightforward, but a lot of companies don't do that. Amen. And I'll tell you, it's anything is a lot simpler for, you know, two guys talking about it than actually implementing it at a company. So, you know, this is just this, the, you know, to, to spark, what's that? We're in the cheap seats. Right. I mean, we're sparking ideas here. We're uh, spitballing, but mm-hmm. it is interesting to think about. So anyway, so Chris, tell us about, you know, right now, on the outbound side, I think because outbound is really tough for a lot of people. Are there two or three things that are working really well for your team? And then alternatively, things that are just not working that you don't even use anymore that we should get rid of? Good question. So one of the things that I found was that, you know, when I, when I came on board here, as I mentioned, I think I mentioned we had we had three guys. And so we were trying to really make a big splash. And so how do we do that? You know, we I think you know, about nine months into the gig. We were, you know, the, the team had grown a little bit, but at the same time, we were experiencing, you know, some summer doldrums and, you know, our numbers dipped for a month. And so it was like, all right, so how do we compensate for that? And so one of the things we started doing was introducing some automation and it evolved into a concept that I call a ghost campaign. And yeah, I know it. we have zombie campaigns, we have ghost campaigns, we got some graveyard thing going on. I don't know why, but, but the ghost campaign <laughs> is named as such because, you know, it's, it's an illusion, like it's automated personalization. And so that's an oxymoron, but essentially how it works is that, you know, we, we use outreach here at Tatango. And so we've got our tier one accounts and those are getting all the personalization. However, there's way more than, you know, whatever 250, 300 accounts we can go after at any given time. 
there's way more companies out there that could conceivably use us. You know, that, that you know, no matter, you know, what they're doing, marketing is just not going to get that level of personalization. Now, they definitely help us with setting these things up. But, you know, for our tier two and our tier three accounts, we put them in these ghost campaigns. And essentially what they are is they are outreach sequences that we heavily personalize towards specific roles or so buyer personas. We personalize towards those types of companies. So like, for example, we sell generally to B2B SaaS. And so, you know, marketing technology companies, SaaS security technology companies, healthcare technology companies, like there's a lot of different verticals that we've been successful with. And we have case studies and other types of collateral on our website and, and our internal resources. So what we've done is we've created these automation campaigns that go out that look like they've been highly personalized. And then that allows us to two or three X our, our overall kind of outreach and coverage and really get the work of, you know, get, get the work of, you know, two or three times the number of people we actually have. Damn, that's, that's really interesting. Then how did, how did you guys test it to make sure that it worked? Because it seems like you could, you could potentially, you know, what if the personalization like comes out all garbled up and it's, <laughs> you know, I, I, I just, I just get scared about like AI and bots and all this stuff. Like what if you send out a bunch of stuff that's to the wrong you know, guy or girl or, you know, and it's the wrong name and all that. I mean, how do you control that? So, so let me tell you, it's not, you know, automation is, is great, but it's not like, it's not fail proof. So there is a degree of setup that's required in order to drop somebody in one of these ghost campaigns. Now, the great news is that once you've done that work, it's kind of, you know, here's another reference to data. It's, it's very set it and forget it, you know, kind of that infomercial back in the day. Was it the Ronco? <laughs> um, once you said, yeah, there you go. Yeah, you get it. <laughs> so no, you, dude, that guy, that guy lived across the street from my sister. <laughs> no. That's why. Yeah. He, was, he was stinking rich, dude. I'll bet. Yeah. I'll, but anyways. He, he just like that in real life. <laughs> You don't want to set it and forget it though, because what, you know, what I'm afraid of, like, okay, here's, here's, I've been burned. Okay. That's, that's where this is coming from. So I just remember back in the day we got yesware and we were like, oh my God, yesware, you know, it's going to make our lives way easier. And I'm sitting there one day and this SDR comes up to me and they're like ghost white. And they're like, dude, I just sent out an email to like a hundred people and in the name line, it's, it's just squiggly, garbly gook, like all those little symbols, the token. Oh, no. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, my God, because the boss that I worked for at that time was like zero <laughs> defects, you know? Yeah. So let, let me tell you, early in my career, before these kind of tools like Outreach and Sales Loft existed, I made that mistake many, many times. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it was, everything was manual. So, you know, I had my, I remember I, I was using Outlook and I had my templates saved in a folder in Outlook and then I'd just copy paste it and I'd, you know, I'd, I'd insert the real name into, you know, where it said name goes here and then I'd, you know, insert the company name into where the company name field went. It was, it was, it was a giant pain in the butt. But nowadays, and here's another shameless plug for outreach, like if you use custom fields within outreach, they have a setting so that like if the field is not populated or it's populated incorrectly, 
it won't send. And so like, for mm-hmm. example, like one of the things we do to pass what I believe is called the Turing test, which is basically like, does the AI, like, is it believable? Could you conceivably think that a human actually sent this? In order to pass that test, um, or one of the ways to pass that test is we use initials for companies, company names, you know, if possible. So like, I don't know if TB would work for 10 bound, but let's say like for Everstring, you might use ES or for sales lock, you'd use SL. And so that has to be done manually. And so that's, that's one of the ways that we, that's, that's one of the ways that we kind of personalize it ahead of time so that when the, the final product goes out, you know, all of this stuff's already been done and we just import it from a spreadsheet. And so, you know, one of the ways that we've been able to do this at scale is, you know, we outsource some of this work. We have, you know, we have some people that, you know, work, you know, very inexpensively that can do some of this kind of grunt manual labor. And then my guys can focus on, you know, being strategic with their tier one accounts. And so again, this is, this is all, this is all just to augment the work that we're doing. The, the very high quality work we're doing on our tier one accounts, but like, thank God for tools like, like outreach and, <laughs> and, and sales loft that can like save us from ourselves, you know, when we are trying to, you know, you know, we're trying to cut corners without, you know, cutting corners. Well, let me ask you something. So, so how do you how do you have that conversation with higher ups in the company when you're like, hey, you know, my my sales development team that we need to customize and personalize as much as possible, but it's also a ton of research that we have to do. And so, do you like right now we're doing so much research that we can't make as many calls and emails and talk to as many people. So, can we outsource some of that resource to a lower cost you know, company and, mm-hmm. and get that information and then give it to the guys so that, so that they can make more calls. How do you have that conversation? Because I've had that conversation before and it's usually like, well, what are they supposed to be doing? That, that's the job of the SDR team to do that research. But yeah. you're, you're going, well, no, it's, it's actually to call people and email people. Like it would be way cheaper to outsource this. I mean, you know, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, and, and this, this is going to, there's another anecdote that's going to date us you know, kids these days, right? (laughs) It's being an SDR is a freaking hard job. It's, it's one of the hardest jobs in any company, not only just like in sales, but just in general. And yeah, you want to make things, you want to make things as easy as possible for them on the back end so that they can spend their time and they can spend their energies doing the, the more high, high value activities. And so luckily, like we, you know, we can outsource some of this stuff you know, for a couple hundred bucks and, you know, we send them, you know, we do the front end work where we, you know, we kind of get, we get the emails for them. We use a tool called lead IQ, which, which has a really cool plugin with LinkedIn and allows us to, you know, import, you know, contacts and mass. And then we can actually drop them directly into our go sequences, but we skip that step for the, for the go sequences because we need to, you know, kind of add that additional information on top. But a lot of this stuff, once we get them, the jet, once we get our outsourced folks, you know, the kind of general data pieces, they can structure it for us just right so that we can easily just drop it into outreach. And then, of course, there has to be, you know, like some oversight before anything goes live. So, you know, whether it's me, whether it's one of, you know, the team leads, you know, they'll go through that and they'll, you know, double check that, you know, the the things look right, you know, like company names will, you know, we'll make sure that the, you know, comma ink period is scrubbed from the company names. Oh, I hate that. Yeah. I mean, it sounds very tedious, but 
Like if you you can go through a spreadsheet and just kind of double check very quickly once, you know, it's already been kind of done by some of this outsourced stuff. So again, it's like it sounds like a lot of work, but there's there are a lot of ways that you can get that work done for a very low cost so that your guys can, you know, concentrate on their, you know, high value stuff again. And then you can add this on the back. And it's really just kind of a, an expansion of your efforts, you know, for, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month. Yeah. I mean, you know, it kind of comes down to a math equation because it's like always right. I mean, the business, like the vocabulary of business is the numbers, especially as you go further up. So it's like, if you can put it into a, an ROI analysis, then oh, sure. You know, that totally makes sense. I, I think where you shoot yourself in the foot or where I, would is just walking in and going, Hey, we need a research team. And they're like, no, <laughs> you know, <And> then, <laughs> right. get out of my office. Yeah. Oh man. This the, is great. What the else? First, the first time I ever did it, I just, I didn't ask for permission. I was just like, I just submitted, you know, a couple hundred bucks on an expense report and nobody ever asked questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then we, and then we started delivering a couple uh qualified leads from it. And then, you know, a couple of those closed. So it was just like, and then there's all of a sudden, oh, how do we get those? Oh, well, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, so you know, go well, ahead and have some success. Just don't ask for permission. Just, just you know, break things and then apologize later. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> that's right. As long as it's successful. If, if you screw up, then uh, that's a different don't conversation. <laughs> that's, the, that's the main thing. Don't fail when you do that. <laughs> Oh man, Chris. Well, uh, we're getting up against the hour, dude. I can't, you know, thank you enough for coming on and sharing your hard-won advice with us. You know, any other tips or strategies that you wanted to bring up or how do people get in touch with you? So, I'm on I'm on LinkedIn, Chris Kennard. Feel free to reach out, you know. You know, one of my favorite things to do is help people in their careers. And so, happy to to share any advice. I I highly recommend Shameless Plug. You should take a look if you're looking to move into an SDR management gig. I swear David didn't tell me to say this, but you should take a look at his half day course. It's very, very cool. And you'll learn a lot about, as he just said, what makes the business work. So it's all about numbers and how you can justify yourself to upper management and justify your team's cost. So, you know, once you get down to that, everything just manages backwards from there. Oh man, thank you so much, dude. That's awesome. I, you, you are a strong member of our alumni community. We're out there changing the world, one yeah. sales development team at a time. So, thank you, Chris. <laughs> Keep fighting the good fight, my friend. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, and thanks for being on the Sales Development Podcast, sir. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development, with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.